Hi, this is Pastor Scott Stroud, and I'd like to thank you for joining us online today as you're watching this sermon series. I know that COVID has had a big impact on the church, and many people have been viewing from home uh, for three years now. And so, if you're one of those, thank you for coming and interacting with us online. But I would also like to extend a personal invitation to come and check us out here at Elam. And we know that fellowship is very important. According to the Bible, we should not uh, give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And as you're thinking about, can you come now and, and venture out and join us uh, in, in person, uh, we would like to invite you and welcome you into the fellowship aspect of our worship time. Hope to see you soon on some Sunday at 10 a.m. document of the United States of America is the Constitution. And in the first part of the preamble, we see the words written, we the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union. In this brief phrase, we see the original intention of our founding fathers in regards to the type of government that they desired to establish. They wanted a more perfect government. When we see the words more perfect, this tells us that they saw in past forms of government some problems, perhaps in England or in other places that were severely lacking, lacking in their effectiveness. But notice that they did not say, in order to form a perfect union, rather a more perfect. The reason for this is that they see that governments are run by fallible people and uh, there is not a perfect government out there. But that doesn't mean that there is not uh, a perfect form of government somewhere in the universe. The very fact that people are trying to form governments that are more perfect indicates that they are aiming for an ideal. And this ideal is realized in another, another form of government that Jesus called the kingdom of God. In Matthew 6.33, Jesus told his followers to seek first the kingdom of God. And in this message this morning, we're going to look at uh, two points that we need to consider when we seek or look for that kingdom, the kingdom of God. At the same time, we will contrast the kingdom of God with the kingdom of the world so that we know how to interact with that kingdom of the world. And so the first point that we're going to be looking at this morning is that the kingdom of God is a person, not a place. When leaders form a particular government, they operate under two assumptions. The first is that that particular government is going to affect a certain people group. The second assumption is that it will govern a particular land. And our government deals, obviously, with the citizens of the United States in this particular uh, land that we live in, in these borders. And we don't expect that our government is going to uh, be put upon the people of Japan, for instance, unless a Japanese person comes to visit here. And even then, they are mostly responsible to the Japanese embassy. If something happens within our borders here, they end up at the Japanese embassy. And so the kingdom of the world deals mainly with ruling governments on the earth. But that kingdom is not limited to those governments. 
We know this because when Satan was tempting Jesus in the wilderness, one of the temptations that the devil offered Jesus was the kingdoms of the world. If you bow down to me, all of these kingdoms will be given to you because they have been given to me and I have authority over them. And the place that that happened was in the Garden of Eden because men of the earth, the people were given the right to rule over those governments at first. But when they sinned, they began to listen to uh, the devil as their father rather than to God as their father. Remember when Jesus was standing before Pilate and Pilate asked him if he was a king? Jesus acknowledged that he was indeed a king and that if he desired to have this happen, his subjects would come and they would fight for him. They would free him at that moment. And he was, of course, talking about the hosts of heaven, the angels. And so Satan was intent on killing Jesus because he was an invading king. He tried to kill him through Herod when he was a baby, and he continued to try to kill him throughout his life and his earthly ministry. The message that Jesus brought to the people of the world was that they were slaves of this worldly kingdom. But there was a different kingdom that they could be a part of. And so that kingdom was found in him. He came to establish a portal to this new kingdom. We see this in Mark 1, 14 through 15. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Even after Jesus ascended into heaven, the disciples, who were now those chosen representatives of the kingdom, carried this message of the kingdom with them as they ministered around that area. We see this as Jesus sent out the disciples during his earthly ministry. In Luke 10, 10 through 11, it says, But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets saying, Even the dust of the town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near in them, in that message that they were carrying. And they did not establish a particular country. They didn't gather all the new citizens of this kingdom and say, we're going to start this town over here. It's going to be only people from this new kingdom. No, they didn't do that. In fact, once an individual believed in the good news, Scripture tells us that they moved their citizenship from this kingdom of the world into the kingdom of God. We see this in Philippians 3.20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await the Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord. And so now there's a new citizenship. And we see in Hebrews 11 that it describes those who place their trust in Christ that they were strangers and exiles on the earth seeking a country of their own. Strangers and exiles. And so let's consider for a moment the exile. What is an exile? Well, first, they live in another country against their own will. They don't live in their home country. They would rather be in their home country, but because of certain political reasons, they can't do that at the present time. They are banned from that country. 
And the political reason that we live in the kingdom of the world against our will, we'd rather be in heaven, we'd rather be with the Lord, we'd rather be in that place where we've received our reward. However, God desires for us to be ambassadors to his kingdom. He knows that the kingdom of the world is temporary. This world isn't going to go on forever and ever. If you fast forward a certain amount in time, this world will be dissolved. The Bible tells us that the elements will be dissolved with fire and that there will be a new earth. And so, this is temporary. But another aspect of an exile is that they are looking forward to going home at some point. They don't want to stay in exile. They want to return to their homeland. And our homecoming for the church, is at the second coming of Christ. We see this in Revelation eleven fifteen. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there was loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And so the way that the world is governed, the kingdom of the world, now has become the kingdom of God on earth, and God is there with them, ruling over them. He transforms the earth into the kingdom of God. Jesus describes this event in Luke 13, 29 as a great feast. And the people will come from east and west and north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. The second point this morning we see here is that you are looking for a great treasure. One of the biggest challenges of living the Christian life is that the majority of what we hope for and long for is invisible and in the future. In fact, Christianity goes against most of what is seen as worthwhile in this modern culture. We are told, if it feels good, do it. We're told that seeing is believing. We're told to live in the moment. We're told that he who dies with the most toys wins. And we are fascinated with those who have successfully built their kingdom in this world. Just go to the drugstore or go to the supermarket. Are there magazine after magazine after magazine talking about the kingdom of God? No. They're all about the kingdom of the world. They're all about the stuff that other people have that you wish that you had. It's all about the fame of people that you wish you had for yourself. Houses, toys, cars, everything in those magazines points to the kingdom of the world, what success looks like in this particular kingdom. And so we see story after story of an extravagant lifestyle. And so when we consider how the Lord came to this earth, we see rather what is important to God. He did not come as a great king in a lavish Luxury mansion. Luke 9, 57 through 58 shows us the extent of Jesus' earthly wealth, what he owned while he was here. As they were walking along the road, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He didn't even own a house while he was here. Instead, he describes the kingdom of God like this. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. 
For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. This sounds like crazy talk to most people. Don't kingdoms typically have like a location or a, you know, some kind of government or a building or whatever it might be? But you're just saying it's just walking around among us. And this is lunacy unless you've experienced it for yourself. Unless you've tasted the sweet forgiveness that comes when you have that moment of faith. When you place your trust in Christ, the Redeemer. Otherwise, all you'll do is continue to chase what you think are real riches. Until you've experienced God's riches, his grace, and his mercy, it's all going to be, show me the money. Where's the cash? I don't want some promise of pie in the sky, buy and buy. I want it now. And this is why Jesus declared to his disciples that it was very difficult for those who had earthly wealth to enter the kingdom of God. I was talking to the confirmation students a little bit this morning, and I asked Ben, I said, Ben, if I gave you $3 million right now to spend on whatever you wanted for you know, the next 10 years, what would your focus be more on, the kingdom of the world or the kingdom of God? And he honestly said the kingdom of the world, right? Because you're spending all this money on stuff that you're enjoying right now. And that's why it's difficult when we amass riches because they have to be taken care of. These houses have to be managed. All this wealth, all these cars, they got to be fixed. they got to be polished and whatever. And that's why Jesus, I think, gave us that example. He dumped it all, right? He's just walking around with some sandals and maybe a few items of clothing, some support from some people for food and whatever. And he showed us what a king looks like in that particular kingdom. But make no mistake, that's not the way it is in heaven. When he comes into his own kingdom, you never saw a mansion like that. You never saw a throne on earth like that. And so wealth can bring a false sense of security in this life. And with that sense of security, we can develop a certain kind of animosity against those who have need. We're the ones who've pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps. Let them figure it out, right? We don't need the bleeding charity. I want to call your attention to the enormous value Jesus and the disciples placed on attaining that kingdom, the kingdom of God. Jesus told a parable in Matthew 13, 45 through 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. He sold everything for one pearl. All he had. And there are many things in this life that prevent us from attaining the kingdom of heaven. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about living and walking in the kingdom, the kingdom life. And sometimes those things are as intimate to us as our hands and our eyes. Jesus warned about being cast out of the kingdom of God and that it was more dreadful than being maimed. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away, for it's better to lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it's better that you lose one of your members than all your body goes into hell. Matthew 5, 29 through 30. Now don't run out of here and gouge your eye out and cut your hand off, please. 
Instead, perhaps, cut the cord on the TV or that app or whatever it is that's luring your heart away from God for interacting in that kingdom. And I'm forever amazed at the human heart, including my own, that we will give up eternal rewards for temporary pleasures. Well, if I can have this now, you know, because I can see it. It's right here. It's in front of me. I'm feeling pleasure in the moment. And many times, those so-called pleasures of the moment, those sins, they're, at one point, they don't become enjoyable anymore. You have to do more and more and more of it to get the same feeling that you had way back in the day when you did it the very first time. And many times what we're actually clinging to is nostalgia, a ghost of a pleasurable experience of the past. And all these false things we are chasing after in place of the kingdom of God have certain human needs and desires at their root. We're seeking love. We're seeking security. We're seeking a feeling. And the amazing thing about seeking after the kingdom of God first is that Jesus promised that we would have all of those things added. It's not like he was saying, seek the kingdom first instead of that, right? No, seek the kingdom first, and I'll give you all that too. All of those things that you really want, all those desires, the friendships, the love, the security, the wealth, (laughs) the relationships, The only difference is they have a lasting value. Wrapping up this morning, the kingdoms of the world, including America, can only offer temporary solutions to our problems. And I'm amazed at how angry people that have citizenship in the kingdom of God get about political stuff that happens in this life. Of course it's a mess. The devil's in control of it. Right? The devil rules over the kingdoms of the world. At this present time, he is the ruler over. Of course there's going to be strife. Of course there's going to be backstabbing. Of course there's going to be corruption. Because there's only one kingdom that can offer you a perfect government. Now as a citizen of the United States, you have a dual role now, right? You're living in this country. You have certain responsibilities. You're praying for it. You're voting, you know, what you think is the best. But you will not see that perfect union established until Jesus comes to rule and reign. And so, what are you spending the majority of your effort and time on? Listening to the talk shows that talk about this kingdom? Or listening to stuff that talks about the kingdom of God being among us? Notice that Jesus didn't come and change the kingdom of the world when he came. He could have. He could have overthrown the Romans. He could have taken away the council, the Jewish leading synagogues. He didn't do that. He brought the kingdom of God into the presence. And that presence established a beachhead. And now citizens of the kingdom of God are walking around out there influencing the other kingdom. I'll leave you with the words of David, king of Israel. By the way, he's the king. It's kind of defeating him in his very own words. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. This is a king. 
telling you not to trust in him. And so my challenge for you this morning is as you go out into the world to begin to look at it through the eyes of the kingdom, the kingdom of God. Notice when you're transitioning from the kingdom of God and going over into the kingdom of the world. And pull yourself back. Lord, get me back into the kingdom of God. Help me to focus on the things that are important to you. Not spend so much energy on all of these things that are going to burn up anyways. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And we thank you that the kingdom is now here among us. And that we are walking around as aliens and strangers, exiles in this land. But we look forward to our return to our heavenly home. And Lord, as we are now walking around, help us to remember that we are exiles in this land. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon series from Elam. If you are encouraged today, would you consider supporting our online ministry through a financial contribution? Personal checks can be made out to Elam Lutheran Church and sent to 11504 26th Street, Northeast, Lake Stevens, Washington, 98258. Or you can give online at elamlutheran.net. Thank you and may God bless you the rest of your day.